tonight, we are continuing our study through the I Am Statements. We are rapidly approaching the end, the completion of the study. Two more messages should finish it up. My original intention was to finish it today. Um, that didn't pan out the way I had planned. Um, but we'll have two more after this, and um, I hope it's been helpful for you. I, I think it's a remarkable, each of these passages, and some of them specifically, like this morning's going, Lazarus, I am the resurrection and the life. They're, they're heavy passages, and there's a lot in them to ponder and to think through, and, um, and what they say about who God is, and then who he is for us, because he is for us. So hopefully it has been beneficial for you, and as I have the opportunity in the future, um, we will complete the study. Um, so, But bearing that in mind, as, as we come into tonight's passage, as we're moving rapidly through these, also recognize that we're moving closer and closer to Calvary. So as we come to tonight's passage, the cross is imminent. Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem has already taken place. It is the Thursday of Passover week. This is Monday Thursday. And Jesus and his disciples are gathered together in the upper room. If we look back just a little bit, if you turn to chapter 13, we won't be going through that tonight. You'll see there that Jesus, he washes the disciples' feet. He declares to the disciples that one of them will betray Jesus, Judas. He tells them that he is about to go away and that at that time they will not be able to go with him. And then he reveals that even Peter will deny Jesus, not once or twice, but three times. That is immediately prior to chapter 14, where we are tonight. So bearing that in mind, before we go to the text, let us pray together. God, we praise you that you are the way and the truth and the life. You were so many things, and in all of them you were good, good to us and for us, through us and in us. We praise you for it. I, I pray tonight that as, as we look at your word, that you would reveal who you are, you would reveal yourself as I am to us. We pray all this in Jesus, almighty, sufficient name. Amen. So this is a much shorter passage that we're looking at tonight. So ergo, it probably won't be a super long message, but if it, I, I go long, don't hold me. You know, don't like me being fit to us. It shouldn't be too lengthy of a, a message this evening. But as, as we look at the text, this is John chapter 14, verses 1 through 14 that we're looking at tonight. So I'll read the passage in its entirety, and then we will work through it. So, chapter 14, beginning in verse 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my house, in my Father's house, are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know the way. We do not know where you were going. How can we know the way? 
And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater things than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. So again, the prior chapter, Jesus reveals that one of the twelve will betray Jesus, that Jesus is about to depart, that they cannot follow him at that time, and that even the adamant Peter will deny Jesus three times before the rooster crows. So as we arrive to the passage, Jesus says in verse 1, let not your hearts be troubled. Okay, That speaks directly to all of that, because that was probably very troubling. So understand when Jesus says to the disciples, let not your hearts be troubled, though, at the same time, that may be hard to swallow. They had just heard that one of them will betray Jesus, and they cannot go to where Jesus is going. And Peter even will deny Jesus not once, not twice, but three times. But Jesus says to them, do not be troubled. Let not your hearts be troubled. And, and, and notice the way he says that. He doesn't say, do not. He says, let not. I feel like that's a gentle way of putting that. Right? He, he understands their predicament. So he responds to them with gentleness. Let not your hearts be troubled. Jesus doesn't just say this statement in a vacuum, though. He then goes on to supply a line of reasoning, right? A reason why they should be comforted. He says to believe. Believe also in me. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. What a wonderful, wonderful promise. There are many rooms in the Father's house. He is going to prepare a place for them, and that he will return and take them to the rooms prepared for them in the Father's house, so that... They can be where he is. Where they can, so they can be where he is. Right? If you remember when, when we went through before Abraham was, I am. If you recall, it was stated in that passage that the son abides in the house forever. It, 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 it offers the statement first, a slave will depart from the house, but a son, a child, remains forever. So connect that here, Right? This is, we're talking about the Father's house. It's the house here, and it's the house back there. And so when Jesus tells them in chapter 13, where I'm going, you cannot come with me right now. Why is that? Because he's going to prepare a place for them. And he will come and get them so that they can be with him. 
So that promise, again, the son abides in the house forever. That's referenced here. The father has a house, and the son is going to prepare a place for the children of God. The shepherd is providing a way for his sheep. Remember, we're approaching Calvary. And, and if you take any of these passages and you just you put them up again, you can see so many different things pointing to the cross. Like, this is where it's going. This is where it's heading. And we can find that here. Jesus is going to prepare a place, a way for the sheep, for the children of God. So we come to verse 5. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you were going. The disciples don't understand what Jesus is telling them. Right? We, it's, it, I sound like a broken record, but it, every, every passage we come to, you can see these, these misunderstandings that Jesus is trying to explain something eternal, and he uses figures of speech, and he is misunderstood. So Thomas voices the concerns of the group. They don't understand where he is going and therefore do not know the way. But asking such a question misunderstands the person of Jesus. Jesus tells his disciples that he is the way. He tells them, I am the way and the truth and the life. Jesus does not merely give them a way to get there. Jesus is not merely a provider of physical bread. He is the bread of life. He does not simply give light. He is the light of the world. He is not a hired hand that flees at the first sign of danger. He is the good shepherd and also the door through which we must enter. Jesus is not one way among many, a con man, or one from whom we may merely receive life. He is the way, the truth, and the life, period. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus. Additionally, I already referenced it, but if we turn back to John 10, where Jesus is giving, the, it's the encounter where Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, I am the door. When he declares that he is the door, you know, he, he says, I am the door through which the sheep must enter. And now we're talking about Jesus being what? He's a way, the way, right? And so it's, it's another way, it's another figure of speech of referring to Jesus as something through which people must go or a way that we must go upon. But it, it's all communicating the same truth, right? These figures of speech that Jesus employs to declare truth regarding who he is, they all intersect and collectively and harmoniously work to reveal the reality of Christ to the hearers of the word. So then Philip chimes in, right? Philip here, he is the voice of the collective. He's continuing to vouch to voice the continued doubts of the disciples. To voice, to voice the continued doubt of the disciples. And, and they kind of echo, if you think, of doubting Thomas later on when he says, I need to put my hands, right? And then I'll believe. Philip here sounds kind of similar, right? He says, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. That, that'll be enough. They want more proof that what Jesus is saying to them is true. So Philip asks that Jesus show them the Father, for that would be enough. But this is, this is actually untrue because Jesus reveals this to be the case in his response. So Philip asks that Jesus show them the Father, for that would be enough. But this is untrue because 
When Jesus responds, what does he say? Jesus said to them, have I been with you so long? You still do not know me. Philip, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? They have seen Jesus, right? They've been with him for years now. They have seen him. And because they have seen Jesus, they have seen the Father, right? Jesus is in the Father and the Father is in him. Thus they have seen the Father and it's still not enough. Their lack of belief is not related to a lack of evidence. The way and the truth and the life is looking them back in their faces right here in chapter 14. And this is not only true in this moment. They've been with him a long time, right? Jesus said to them, have I been with you so long? Additionally, the person of the Father is not only visible in Jesus, but also the, not only the person of the Father, but also the activity of the Father, what the Father is doing. Right? Because if we go to verse 11, believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. So the theological words we could throw around here would be the attributes or character of God versus the economy of God, who God is versus what God does. Jesus' actions and words are not accomplished by a Jesus on his own, but are actually the actions and words of who? The Father. Both of these realities work to reveal Jesus in his fullness. It's a reciprocal thing. Jesus reveals the Father, and the Father reveals the Son. You remember the dove descending upon Jesus. This is my Son, right? It's not a one-way street. You see Jesus, you see the Father. They're not the same in the sense that we hold, we hold the Trinity to be true, right? But at the same time, Jesus is telling us, if you've seen my Father, you've seen me. Because my Father is working in me all the time, and I always do what the Father wants me to do, and I always say what the Father wants me to say. It's inseparable. So again, both of these truths reveal Jesus in his fullness. And because Jesus is in the Father and the Father is in him, this also works to reveal the Father in his fullness. And then also Jesus then states that if they don't believe on the basis of what Jesus is saying, to believe on account of the signs. Again, these signs serve as signifiers that whatever Jesus is saying is true. That's why when Jesus heals the man born blind and declares himself to be the good shepherd, the people there are kind of double-minded about it, right? Because on the one hand, they're like, well, we don't like everything he's saying, therefore this must be demonic. But at the same time, they say, can a demon open the eyes of the blind? They see the sign and they understand that it means something. So when Jesus feeds the 5,000, that underlines the reality of Jesus' words when he says he is the bread of life. It serves as an indicator, this is true because I have done this. When Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, this demonstrates and underlines the reality that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Jesus has the added testimony of his actions to demonstrate who he is. And as he is revealed for who he is, so is the Father. Thus, 
The disciples here, they have already seen the Father because they have seen Christ. They need to believe in Christ, that they continue to look to other things to assure them of truth, as if Jesus were merely a means to something else. Again and again, we see those around him seeing Jesus as the provider of what is desirable, not the object of desire itself. That he is not merely the means to some other thing. He is the life, and he is what the disciples need. They need Christ. If you take anything from any of these messages that I've done at all, let me say again that they're not seeing Jesus as the provider of what is desirable. That's what they're seeing him as. They're not seeing him as the object of desire itself. What they need all along, all through John, they need Christ, but they keep looking to these other things. They want the bread, right? They want Lazarus to come back. Even Martha, when she says, I know that Lazarus will come back in the resurrection, right? But then Jesus later says, I am the resurrection and the life. They're looking at these events. They're looking at these things, and they want this stuff. What they need is Christ because he's, he's everything. And so if you take any, anything at all from any of the words coming out of my mouth, understand that we need Christ because he is everything, everything. So let me read 12 through 14 again, because they kind of happen. It's, it's not an aside, but it's, let's read it again. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater things work than these, greater works than these he will do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. So Jesus, he makes these statements regarding those who believe in him. The key to this is that whatever will be given or accomplished is done in Jesus' name, and that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Okay? So this is not meaning a name-it-claim-it type of theology where you can just throw something out and expect it to happen in that sense. Remember the context in which Jesus is always doing miraculous things and finding his requests made to the Father answered in the affirmative. He is always doing what the Father does, and he's always aligned with his will. They're, they're tied together so inseparably that when you see Jesus, you see the Father, right? You don't see, well, that's kind of what the Father, no, you see the Father when you look at Jesus. That's the context that we're in when we come to these three verses. We can't disconnect verses 12 through 14 from verse 10, where it says, do not do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? And then where he says, I do not speak of my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. We can't disconnect this reality from Jesus' words in verses 12 through 14. We are not above Christ that we should expect that we could have any or all of our own desires granted in whatever way we see fit. Rather, what verses 12 to 14 tell us is that those requests that are made in keeping with Christ's person and will will be granted because if it is in keeping with Christ's person and will, it is in keeping with the Father. Then, you see, Jesus just comes out of talking about himself and the Father, inseparable, right? You see me, you see the Father. And then he comes to us. 
think, think about what that means. Because if we're one in Christ, we're baptized into his death and his resurrection. It's, it's almost that same thing, right? Where if someone looks at you, and it's, it sounds kind of like a cliche type of thing, but if someone looks at you, they should see what? They should see Christ, right? And, that, and that's, that flows just out of this other relationship that we're looking at here, Jesus and the Father. Jesus says, when you look at me, I am the perfect representation of the Father's person and will. I say what he wants me to say, and I do what he wants me to do. And in that same way, we come into that relationship, right? Not as slaves, but as sons and daughters of a father who loves us, adopted through the atoning work of Christ. So when we come to him in that way, there should be that still, right? You look at me, you see Christ. Now, at the same time, we aren't able to carry that out perfectly now, are we? And that's where the breakdown often happens. That's where the confusion happens and the doubt. Because you're like, I thought I was totally in the right. You know, this, this was my understanding of how things, and I, and I felt like when I prayed this, it should have happened this way. And, and that can be hard. But understand us. As God works through us, as we are remade into the image of Christ. Just as much as Christ is working through us, it will be granted to us through Christ by the Father. We won't actually be going over it tonight, but if you continue through 14, Jesus then immediately goes into talking about the promise of the Holy Spirit. Into 15, onto the end of the passage. So, I encourage you to go on and read the remainder of that and understand it in its place because these three verses, 12 through 14, kind of serve as that bridge. Additionally, though, regarding these three verses, remember Jesus is telling his disciples that he is about to depart from them. They don't know what to do with this, right? You see... Thomas and Philip, they're both responding. If you read even before that, Peter said in chapter 13, verse 37, Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Right? So they're, they're kind of flailing. And so Jesus offers them this promise in the midst of it. So when Jesus is therefore speaking to them in verses 12 to 14 to tell them that when Jesus goes to prepare a place for them, he is not leaving them in such a way that things will return to how they were. Jesus isn't going to be gone and, and then it's B.C. all over again, before Christ. It's, that's not happening. The veil won't be thrown back up. The veil will remain torn. God won't be left beyond reach. Jesus' authority and power remain. Jesus is not gone in the sense that he is entirely absent. On the contrary, we can ask on the basis of his authority, right, 12 through 14, for that which is in keeping with who he is and it will be granted to us. So 
So Jesus here is comforting his disciples, letting them know that they need not be discouraged. And neither do we need to be discouraged. Jesus is the way. He is preparing places for each and every one that would believe for all the sheep that hear his, the shepherd's voice. And he is the truth. His words are not false. We know his voice is true because the sheep recognize the shepherd's voice. He is not lying to us, and neither is he one who can possibly be rendered unable to deliver on what he promises. His promises are sure. He is a firm and steady anchor. And he is life. Life itself. True, real, abiding, everlasting life to each that would cast his or herself upon Christ. Again, what we need is Christ all the time, every day. And he is faithful and just to forgive and accept any that would do so. Again, in my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go up to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Hear the words of Christ in that this evening, and be comforted. Do not be discouraged.